0: Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO show. Today I've got a returning guest. Way back in the early days of Grow CFO show, I interviewed Hannah Monroe, who is the host of her own podcast CFO 4.0, but also Hannah runs a company called ITAS, who are consultants and finance technology implementers. And we thought it'd be a good idea today to talk about one of those things that we see as being big in the next 12 months, and that's improving your processes and systems to take time out of month end close so that you have more time to focus on supporting the rest of the business. So Hannah, welcome back.
1: Hi, it's so lovely to be back on, Kevin. Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: So month and close, is shortening that process something that you see as a task quite often with your clients?
1: Absolutely. So I think all of us, you know, it's one of those things where we all have ambitions to bring down our month and close, but sometimes actually getting to the reality of cutting the month in clothes can be a bit challenging. So, um, and we'll talk a little bit about this moving forwards. But from my perspective, it's not just about technology. It's actually about all the things that go around the month end so that can be your reporting your data it can also be your and your processes that actually sit behind it so it's often a topic of conversation and people are often surprised when i say hang on a second let's stop talking about technology and start talking about the other things that are driving the change and
0: I know it's very much a problem. In, in grocery Effort, we run a weekly poll asking the community their opinion on something. And one of the questions we asked, I don't know, it must have been October, November last year, is how long does it take you to close your books? And way normally when we ask something in the poll, we, we'll get either a fairly even response across the selections we offer, or we'll get one response that comes out as a, as a major This one, quite odd. We got two responses that came out probably equal, and that was, it takes us five days, and we offered one day, two days, three days, four days, and so on as options. Five days came out for about 45% of the community, and another 45% seemed to be around 10 days. Mm -hmm. And one or two shocking outliers that say, oh, we just about managed to close last month by by the time (laughs) the current month's finishing. (laughs)
1: I've had a few of those, right? I remember one that said six weeks to produce their end-of-month account. So they literally were not even finishing their end-of-months before they start a new one. So you always get those outliers. But there was an interesting uh, piece of research by Sage, actually, that said that majority of people fall within that three to seven band. So you guys yeah. know there, And the seven to 12 band. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it is a really interesting piece. And I think the... Across different types of industries, I think those that have a heavy time and payroll element tend to sit more in that upper end because payroll tends to slow down some of their processing pieces. But actually, you know, I do think as finance teams and as people that are going in and supporting finance teams with this, you know, we are always aiming for that continuous close. So it's not just about closing, but how do we have always on information and insight into a business without having to wait for the close to provide it?
0: Yeah. that is the Holy grail, the continuous close. I remember, gosh, it's 20 plus years ago. Now I was working for PwC consulting and one of the big services in our bit of the business was faster close. We always used to cite Cisco Systems as the company that managed to close on day zero and talk about how Cisco managed to do it. Yet here we are 20 odd years on and there's still hardly anybody managing that day zero.
1: It is really interesting to talk to different individuals and I think the continuous close can be Incredibly intimidating for people, right? So, because they're so focused on how to do exactly what I'm doing, just do it faster, right? And that is the problem, is yeah. actually need to step back and reevaluate what we mean by a continuous month end close. And actually, how do we start to work towards that step? So, you know, for me, if you're not closing in three days, continuous close, in my opinion isn't you're not ready for it so if we think about those bands you always want to aim to get into the next band down right and then start that shift you also need to in my personal opinion uh, evaluate what your definition of a month end close is and for me sometimes that can be the reporting close but sometimes it can also be the final we've you know, we've checked everything piece And I think, you know, and when you start to get into when you're going to pull your reports, how do you get your reports correct? That opens a whole can of worms in terms of people's perception that, you know, the reporting needs to be down to the penny. And that becomes a big challenge if you go into a continuous close is expecting perfection. And, you know, perfection is the enemy of time. And it's
0: funny, before we switch the microphones on, we were talking about pretty much that thing, perfection and the accountant. Things don't have to be right to the last penny. Perhaps they do when you get to year end. You've got to submit statutory accounts and you've got to give information to tax man and so on. They've they've got to be right. But from month to month, what are you trying to do? You're trying to run the business. And I've always said to clients, you wouldn't get into your car and draw a blind across the windscreen and drive the car through the rearview mirror, would you? And if you're Taking a month, six weeks to close the books. Well, that's you're reporting ancient history. You're reporting that that's stuff you could see out the rear view mirror. Even if you're taking 10 days, you're not looking forward very much. The idea of results on a month end basis, so you can look at them and say, are we where we thought we were going to be? No, we're not. What's going wrong? What have we got to change to fix it? Well, if it's six weeks ago, the result that you've just reported, well, it's far too late.
1: Absolutely and I think of it almost like if you think of it in terms of sailing and ships right you don't wait until you're about to hit the rock to turn the ship you keep an eye out in front and as soon as you feel like you're veering off course you make small corrections that get you where you need to be and this is the piece people think about forget about month end is that month end is a point why do we start with months why don't we always have weekends you know like Close it every week. You know who decided that month end was the perfect time period to actually close? And so, actually, what we need to think about is, as a business, we need to be constantly adjusting and tweaking our direction of travel. And if we wait to the end of the month, by the time we've got to the end of the month, the ship is already off course. We're not where we need to be. And so, again, that's the the conversation I have a lot with a lot of people is if you're waiting for perfection in four weeks' time, isn't 80%, 90% correct, better to have on a weekly basis than wait till the end of the month.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I remember David Parmenter, who used to run webinars and so on for the Institute of Child Accountancy. He called himself the king of KPIs. And he was constantly talking about the difference between a key performance indicator and a key result indicator. He gave a lovely example of... uh, there's a racehorse and it's, it's supposed to be a potential derby winner. Now, the day before the race, the horse went missing and they have a look around and they can see from the TV cameras that from the, the CCTV cameras, they can spot the time at which the horse got out of the loose box. They can see the time that it cantered off across the paddock and disappeared into the distance. They've got all that lovely information. What they didn't have was the piece of information two weeks ago that the lock on the stable door was broken. (laughs) 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 Oh, dear. The time the horse escaped and the direction it headed in isn't an awful lot of use. Knowing the stable door lock is broken and you need to fix it is a lot of use.
1: And also, if you think about it, at what point did they spot it was missing? So if they've been constantly monitoring, you know, and I, I have horses, so I completely sympathise catching a horse 10, 15 minutes after it's left is a lot harder than doing it in a few minutes when you content them with food, right? So, and I think that's the point, isn't it? It's about 100% making sure you know where the, the, the fact that the lock is broken in the first place. But when stuff starts to go wrong, how do you spot it early? And it's about understanding that data in context at the point and having visibility of it on demand and warnings as well.
0: Mm. Think about the practicality of this, Hannah, and technology might help us. But the thing you cannot do is simply automate what you're doing now. You've got to start thinking differently. So if, if you were talking to a client about this, where would you start?
1: So one of my favorite techniques, and I've actually done this on my financial transformation live sessions that I do on LinkedIn, but one of my favorite techniques is super simple, really easy, is to start with a month-end timeline map. So if you put all of your activities that make up your month-end process, everything from AP into company postings, down to a reasonable amount of detail, you can start top-level and work it down. And then in the columns across your Excel spreadsheet you then just put in the days of the month, right? So what you need to understand is what is the spread of tasks across that month end? So, and then what you'll probably find is there's certain tasks that become outliers that really push everything. Either they start late or they finish late, yeah, or they take too long. It could be any combination of those three things, Right. And so once you understand what the blockers are, because if you move like 90 percent of your tasks, but this one critical piece is still going to day 12, you're never going to get down to your three day close. So you kind of need to understand within all of the tasks you do at the month end, what where are the real blockers? And that for me is my favorite tool. I, you know, Excel, any kind of spreadsheeting tool. I don't normally advocate spreadsheets, but this is one of the instances where it's really useful. Um, and, and figure out, you know, where are the blockers? Now, the second thing you then need to do and brainstorm is think about well, why does that blocker exist? So a lot of people will wait for their payroll to actually be processed before they post the payroll numbers. But why? You know what you're going to pay, you know you what you owe them, you know what hours they've worked, etc. So why do you wait for the physical payroll run to post the, the actual amounts? You know, and so thinking slightly differently. About each section of those processes, you can ask yourself, right? Can I do this differently? Can I do this quicker? Can I do this earlier? And then once you start to ask those questions and you work your way back from the furthest item, you keep bringing it back, you figure out any dependencies. So, does that item depend on that? Can I do that item quicker? And all of a sudden, you've gone from 12 days to seven without, and, and you've rethought your month end. And that for me is really, really important.
0: Yeah. And I, I'd add one more thing to that. That thing that's possibly taking until day 12 to get the information, does it matter? Is it important? i are not trying to be accurate to the last penny. So you are wait until day 12 for some information. Is that information material to the result that you're putting together? Could you have made a provision or an accrual or something like that on day three? that would not have been significantly different to the real number you got on day 12.
1: And that is the exact piece. And I I keep using the example payroll, but there's lots of other examples that you have in month end, but that's exactly the point. It's going, why do I need to wait till then? How do I get that information earlier? How do I make a best guess or a judgment call and then correct it later? Because like you say, we're not a year end here. This is not statutory accounts. It needs to be good enough for our Um, Exact team to make decisions about the business performance. It does not need to be at a point where I'm ready to submit until I get to my year end. And so, good enough is the the philosophy that people that we need to start thinking about when it comes to month end is a whole different way of thinking for finance. Let's be honest; Uh, we're all perfectionists. Mm.
0: and I'd say another thing here that the way we put accounts together goes back to the days before we had any technology at all. We had to submit some statutory accounts that had to have certain numbers in certain places. Then the tax authority said, well, we need some accounts on which your tax figures are based, and those have got to have certain numbers in certain places. So all our accounting requirements were built up around what does company's house need, and what does HMRC need? And because there was no technology and it was all done in manual ledgers and manual daybooks and so on, there was only one set of information. Thing is, that's fine at year end, but 90% of the use of your financial information is not external with Companies House and not external with HMRC. It's internal within your own business. Therefore, do you need necessarily to have all those things right that you would for year end? account for them in the way you would at year end? What are the important bits of information that you need every week, every month, and so on to make decisions? And they're probably very different to the bits of information that go in a set of statutory accounts.
1: Absolutely. And this is where the concept of flash reporting comes from. And I, I talk about this a lot with our customers is, and once you start to talk about flash reporting, actually the month then becomes less big deal because people are used to going right what what information can I get out at the end of a week that gives the business guidance on where we're at you know like how do we do that how do I do it on demand if I look at those accounts at any day of any of this month how do I get it so it's almost right and once you start to think like that actually when you get to the end of the month yeah we'll put provision in for this we'll do this here but and we'll, we'll just make sure that we inform everybody if we think there's any you know egregious errors at the end you know or we find something that's really that material afterwards but actually we're always updating people so that they'll see it they'll know it and we've got that communication stream happening because What's really interesting is if you don't go down this route and you do aim for perfection, the business will start to find other ways to get the information. Oh, yes. You don't have sight of and control of. And so that's, again, another conversation. Like if it takes you six weeks, then people start putting their own reports from their own data. And then the, the business is working off multiple sets of reports that aren't being validated or even yeah. you know don't even know getting,
0: some very dangerous areas there that you have multiple versions of the truth and how long do you spend in that business meeting where sales have given a number out <laughs> there you go yeah and finance are now giving a number out this week we're purporting to be the same number and yep, they said sales was, were, were 20,000 pounds. You're saying sales are 19,450. Ostensibly the same number, but how much argument then? I've seen this in reality on so many occasions. The meeting then descends it into, okay, sales are about 10, 10 to 15% less than they should have been, right? It doesn't really matter whether nineteen four fifty or twenty thousand is the right number, but instead of arguing about why sales are fifteen percent less than they should have been, they start arguing about well, why is the finance number different to the sales team's number?
1: (laughs) It is so true.
0: It doesn't matter.
1: That's it. And then people start to distrust all of the data, right? Because they can't get hold of it and they don't understand how it's put together. And then you end up in this vicious cycle. of Nobody actually trusts the data and everyone triple checks everything. And then, like you say, the time is spent on checking data versus analyzing it. And we have to get out of that piece. I also think there is a bit about finance need to think about who their customers are. Like if you go back to the old model, the traditional customers were the you know it was HMRC, was the company's house, was the shareholders, was maybe the board and the exec, uh, the you know managing director. But actually, finance, you know, if we think about the concept of business partnering, the customers are the wider organization. How do we enable each of those departments to be as effective and as efficient as possible? And the reality is they cannot wait. They barely can wait four weeks, let alone longer than that, to get information. We need to support that. Otherwise, we will be seen as ineffective.
0: Yeah. And we run, in Grow business partnering boot camps. And they're a fascinating series of two-hour workshops across sort of eight to 10 weeks. We take business partnering teams through and some of the clear messages coming out of this are that, well, number one, the teams that you're business partnering with generally are not interested in the management accounts. Then you might produce this wonderful piece of paper, but they're never actually going to read it. You need to get into the mindset of not what you're bothered about as the finance person, but what are they bothered about in their area of running the business.
1: Absolutely.
0: Lesson number two that comes across is that if you're going in and transmitting information about business partnering to them, their brains are wired in such a way that if you try telling them more than three facts, then you're not going to get anywhere. No, they will listen to fact one, they'll listen to fact two, they'll listen to fact three. So what are the three important things you need to tell them about this month? If there's a fourth or a fifth or a sixth, forget it. You are only going to get the message across about three. So do you need a whole set of accounts? No, you need to know what's happening in that area of the business in outline terms so that you can have a conversation about it and say, hey, what's going wrong here? Or, hey, we've got this funny number. What caused that? The number itself isn't really going to tell you an awful lot. And the fact that it's accurate to 0.001% isn't going to tell you anything about it. Because another thing that we teach is that, look, to ask the question why, and to ask a question why about five times, you know, sales are down by 5% this week. Oh, that's because, oh, why was that? And only once you ask that fifth question, are you actually getting somewhere near the true underlying reason why sales are down by 5% and get into the thing that you can actually do something about. You've gone a long way from the numbers by the time you ask the fifth why.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. And I think that's the key thing with month end. Like we say is we start to think we we have this, this view of our, in our head as to just doing everything that we're doing faster. But actually it's about changing the perception of month end in our team and understanding the purpose of month end for the wider business. And once you start to get into that, then then the possible, you know, the continuous close becomes a possibility versus this lovely dream that we're all talking about.
0: Yeah. And if you're going to use numbers as well, use them powerfully. Yeah. You look at somebody, go back and there are loads and loads of bits of footage around on YouTube and so on of, of people like Steve Jobs presenting at an Apple product launch or something like that. Yeah, he'd use a number or two. But they normally a single big number, like uh, I think there's one iPhone launch where he put a s- slide up that said 250 million iPhones. That was the only number he presented. It talked about it used that one number and used it to illustrate a lot of things. Other things, think about Brexit. Most people remember the big red bus with a big number on it. <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> but it was only one big number. It wasn't a whole set of numbers.
1: And I think... If you go back to that big number, and just go back to the Brexit conversation, that one big number is only useful if the the story that goes behind it is understood in context. And like you said, getting into the whys and the levels of whys. Mm -hmm. And once you start to free up time within that month end, and this is why I harp on it, because month end for me is a catalyst towards finance moving to where it needs to be. Once you can start to surface information on demand, once you know, because once you get into cutting down your month into three days, we're into continuous close, which means we're into always on month end, which means we're on to always on reporting and visibility, right? So that then opens up so many doors to the wider, you know, to other things that finance needs to be doing and that the business needs finance to be doing. But it really it all comes back to month end. And that's why it's such a big starting point for a lot of the conversations I have. And I think one of the interesting pieces, and we should probably mention this, is that people think they know what they do at month end. They don't actually know what they do at month end. And I find this is really interesting with teams and their managers is actually, and I say this for all kinds of pieces, all kinds of process mapping. So we start with the timeline, right? You, You put in when you think you close. And then you actually look at your month end each month and go, when did we actually close that? What was the actual date and what stopped us? And it, that is always fascinating because people's perceptions and of how they, when they close versus the manager's perception of when they close versus the business's perception of when it closes can be quite dramatically different as well.
0: Mm, yeah. like. We always close on working day four. When you look at the reality that you realise in five of the last six months, you issued the report on working day six. And guess what? There was a different reason in each of those months why you were two days late.
1: And once you start to track, it's like anything, isn't it? Once you start to monitor, then you do that. So I speak, you know, simple things like putting in month-end close meetings actually sitting down and evaluating each month then and going right this is what we were aiming for of you know did we achieve it asking the five why's well why didn't we hit it why did that happen what is the getting back to what was the underlying cause and source and how do we eliminate it so next month we don't. And, and we're just talking about sort of hitting the day that we thought we closed at, but it also works for improvement. So once you've got that visibility of the timeline, once you've checked and rationalized that against a month end or maybe two, then you can actually start to unpick those elements. And this is the piece that's re- is also, is hard, but also interesting is that very often the problems are driven by other areas of the business. So it could be that sales dis- have some really random non-approved billing models that somebody had to do to get a deal through right or somebody didn't give visibility of an invoice till like the second day and then we had to unpick it all And, and and just almost unpicking the what but then going back to the drawing board and going well how do I prevent that from happening in the first place? And do I need to rethink the concept that that problem was based on? Then starts to open up all sorts of doors and actually sometimes explain to the wider business why they can't do whatever they want, because always this, and this is the impact, can actually have a really a massive impact on the month end close. Yeah.
0: In that area, the one thing that's really exciting me is what, some of the artificial intelligence solutions can do because you will spend a certain time at month end checking that things look right and let's face it the the gut thing is what are we expecting sales to be what are they actually what are we expecting the gross margin to be what's it actually and straight away those simple tests if you notice one of those numbers is a bit away from where you're expecting it to be you start digging and you start looking for, is there an invoice missing? And so on? has somebody put the wrong amount on an invoice, put the decimal point in the wrong place and things like that. Now, the fact that you've now got artificial intelligence solutions coming along that can do those sort of reasonableness check and throw out the things that look like the exceptions, the things that look as though they might be a bit funny for you to review, That's got to make a big difference because you find out about the invoice that's got the decimal point in the wrong place. Three days before you try closing rather than day four of the actual close when you're trying to finalize the sales number.
1: So For me, so I find it really interesting. The bit that people don't realize about AI is you have to train it. Yes. So This is the first thing is that AI for me is an investment in time that pays off but it doesn't pay off immediately because you spend time training and seeing it, right? And it's getting better at learning, like the AI that's in use now learns a lot faster. It tends to be working on anonymized and shared databases. It becomes even more impactful. But for me, the piece, if I think about those things like reconciliations and checks, the bit that people forget is that dashboards aren't just for reporting, they are for reconciliation as well. So this is a small change that every person in the in using various systems are different elements, but, you know, rather than doing reconciliations by taking data out of systems, putting it in a spreadsheet, checking the numbers, et cetera, how do you build always on reports and dashboards that give you instant visibility of where discrepancies are? And how do you start then to monitor it? The say that like if you're talking about, like, uh, you know, actual versus where we thought we were going to be in terms of sales. Well, putting in sales budgets and highlighting immediately when something's off and then monitoring that through the month. And as you get closer to the month end, and right, where's that difference? And picking up on it. And by doing those kind of exercises, which don't involve a massive investment in technology, sometimes, if sometimes it does, depending on which systems you are on, you as an, a team become way more efficient. So that's one of the things I do talk to people about: is how do we get reconciliation out of manual exported data spreadsheets and into a more interactive and usable format? And um, because once, if you can look at something, and go, "Yeah, that does it." The other thing as well is most mistakes are human made, right? Yeah. So the first point in my view is not about getting AI to catch it, but actually stopping a human from entering it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So if you get to that point, so if you think about some of the technology we have at the moment, we have OCR coming, you know, and other, and you like EDI systems that basically do direct invoicing. So you don't, a human doesn't actually have to code something. And then AI can be cleverly used to figure out where to code, but fundamentally you're not entering that data. So you don't miss, you don't enter that wrong decimal point if you sort your integration so you're not manually transferring data from system to system,
0: hmm.
1: you're removing the human element. So for me, the first stage of getting to that amazing, you know, always on piece and using technology and AI effectively is actually starting with automation. And once you want, un- you know, is is and making processes automation friendly, which I think is probably a whole different podcast topic. It probably is, in yes.
0: I'd say just in wrapping this up that now, doing a career of business transformation of finance transformation, once you start looking at a process, you realize that if you want to either speed the process up or do it at a lower cost, then the thing you need to do is take the errors out of the process because it's far faster and far cheaper to process something right the, in the first place than go back in and correct it, you know? It will take you on average five or six times longer to correct an invoice than it would to have got it right in the first place. And that five or six times longer is generally a person sitting at a desk who you're paying time and materials to do that correction. Therefore, it costs you a lot of money.
1: I couldn't agree with you more. And Getting data right the first time is the first step towards the continuous close. Yes. Um, getting data into the format it needs to be is a huge piece. and going to your point as well, I think the reality of getting things right is you need to simplify. Most of the problems that are created in processes and systems are because of complexity. And if you can eliminate complexity or minimize it, you're on the road to faster processes, better quality data, then that just you know becomes this ever-increasing circle rather than the vicious circle that starts to appear. And that's really important.
0: Absolutely. So Hannah, we've gone through this conversation, apart from mentioning AI a little bit and mentioning that, well, perhaps it's automation, initial processes, we've mentioned technology very little in improving month-end close. So do you think technology has got a, a significant part to play here?
1: So technology, this is really interesting. So I I always get, um, people look at me weirdly when I go out and I talk to customers because very often actually technology is the last thing I talk about, right? In order for technology to be impactful, it needs to be the right technology at the right time used in the right way. And fundamentally, if you put good technology into a bad process, You are still going to end up with a bad process and a lack of automation. So the first piece that you need to get out before you start doing anything is to have use technology as a catalyst, not the answer to your processing problems. So again, it's why we choose. So when people talk to us and they speak to our consultants. A lot of us are actually BAs or process people or data analysts by background versus being techies. We have techies, of course, you need those people. But fundamentally, driving transformation is a, has an element of technology, but it's not the answer. And for me, I think that's the problem that a lot of transformation projects have is that the first question is, I need a new piece of technology versus the Am I clear on the problem I'm solving? Is my process fit for purpose? And do I know how technology needs to fit into that? And if somebody comes to you and says, oh yeah, in order to deliver on your automation project and your automation process, I'm basically going to have to build a whole bit of bespoke. You really need to take a step back and go, why does that process exist in its current form? And why can't I work in the way that most other businesses work and the way that technology is designed to? Soapbox,
0: I will step off. And <laughs> Hannah, I can absolutely second this. I'm thinking back to the last company that I worked for, where there were a company that had acquired lots and lots of businesses and they decided to implement SAP. don't know what the background behind the decision was, but then into each one of those finance teams, they put SAP in and they simply put the existing processes into the system. Later, when the company was going down the pan, we we were trying to do business turnaround and implement shared services. And what we found was that though we were operating fundamentally the same SAP accounting system, we were operating it in 10 different ways. Oh, yeah. And could we manage to simplify process? Well, it was a it was a struggle to implement shared services because you couldn't say, okay, you're doing accounts payable for all 10 divisions. Because you had to have somebody who knew what was happening in each division in order to do it. And you could not streamline the thing.
1: This is why. So I find it really, again, really interesting. So one of the pieces that I speak to a lot of people about. So when we start an implementation project, say tacton and we're going out and we speak to customers, customer, we'll ask some questions about their processes. And one of the questions I also we all I always ask is, well, do you have your finance process maps documented? Right. If the answer is no, then the reality is, it's probably not only are you, don't you understand your processes? The reality is, you're probably all doing the process slightly differently. Because without an agreed process that you can all look at and go, yes, this is how I'm delivering fundamentally, unless you're incredibly simple, you, every person within the business will or within the fight center will probably be doing the same thing, but a slightly different way. So part of, and this is, again, why pro- projects often fail, is people firstly don't understand what the current process is, so they can't figure out how they need to set up the new system and the, the piece. But they also don't have a common agreement around what it should look like. That's part of our job as consultants. And, you know, we're doing loads more work about just, pro- just process mapping. Even with those that are on fast implementations, they need to get something in quick, then it's a bit about... Like, how do we go out there? How do we get your processes mapped? How do we make sure we're reviewing these constantly and updating? And it's a journey. It's one of those tasks that everyone puts to the back of the list. You know, there's always something else to do instead of process, map, but it is so valuable. For
0: And, you know, if if we were doing this in front of a live audience rather than recording a podcast, at this point, I'd have done something in the chat box and (laughs) asked the audience. (laughs) Do you have your finance process documented? Just to have a laugh at the tiny little percentage of people that come back and say, yes, we have.
1: And I bet you of those that say, yes, we have, they are in some folder where in like plastic end thingies and they're covered in dust because nobody ever looks at them because they're not updated. So and
0: everybody <laughs> probably follows them.
1: I yeah. <laughs> exactly. that,
0: that poll out every week in Grow CFL. I've got to put one out today as we're recording this. I'm just tempted to scrap my existing plans and ask exactly that question.
1: I'd love (laughs) to see the answer, right? And then we can do a whole piece of conversation around process mapping and why you should do it. But that's that's another one of the topics I covered, you know, people on on financial transformation life, people are scared of it. and I just don't get it. It doesn't have to be pretty. It just needs to be documented. (laughs)
0: Start with a big roll of brown paper pinned on the wall and some post it notes and move uh, around until you've got the process yeah. right.
1: Well, so this is my one tip though is that we, I used to do that, but the chat, but the problem is, is what happens is once the process mapping is done, everyone rolls out the brown paper, it goes under somebody's desk and nothing ever gets done with it. So, mm. my one tip for anybody listening is to do it digitally there's some brilliant tools we use lucid because i love it it's just so simple and easy but there are some brilliant tools for actually doing digital yeah. process yeah. i'd always get somebody
0: to put the brown paper onto visio that once they've finished but you sit yeah. down with a group of people you map it out on the brown paper then you bring somebody completely fresh into the room who's also involved in the process you walk them through it and say, oh, no it doesn't happen like that <laughs> And you start having to move it all around. That's why you don't want the electronic version in the first place.
1: This is the brilliant thing about the new electronic versions. You can move stuff around easy ways. It used to be a lot harder right
0: yeah.
1: um, to do it and that's why again choosing the right tool is really important like trying to do it in powerpoint or those is just hard um, and yeah. you do it in some of these purpose design tools and, and you can also do it on teams as well so you don't actually yes. have to be in the room which is a is nice you can just chip it into the end of a of a meeting versus rather than having to make a whole day of it
0: yeah hannah this is going into a whole different conversation I think we've <laughs> we've talked about a whole load of stuff today. We've probably got people quite excited about how they can improve their processes to improve month end close. Hannah, thank you for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO Show.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kevin. It was it was just it's such an easy conversation with you.